everyone. Welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. I'm Loren, and I will be interviewing some of the top leaders and innovators from the dance and acrobatic industry. If you are a teacher, performer, student, or a lifelong learner like myself, you are sure to find these episodes intriguing and full of inspiration. Acrobatic Arts is passionate about providing current and relevant information for everyone. So please, sit back and enjoy as we share our passion with you and the world. Today, I am talking with Maureen Johnson, and together we are going to provide some information about the Acrobatic Arts Professional Development Scholarship. Maureen Johnson, hello and welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. Hi, glad to be here. I'm so honored that we have the chance to talk today and to see each other virtually, of course. Now, Maureen, you and I go way back. I started dancing at your studio when I was four years old and you were my very first teacher. This is also true for many of the Acrobatic Arts staff, our UK division manager, and also the founder of Acrobatic Arts, Mandy Yip. So to say that you have a special place in the world of Acrobatic Arts is an understatement. On behalf of your former students, I would like to thank you so much for not only being our amazing dance teacher, but also one of our biggest mentors. Oh, I'm very honored that this has been the result of all those years of training and working with you and Mandy, it's great to see. Very proud of you all. I'd like to talk about the Maureen Johnson Professional Development Scholarship, but before we do that, why don't you tell us about your background, where you grew up, how you started in dance and acrobatics, and then eventually running and owning your own dance studio. Well, as a, as a young girl, uh, I was always standing on my head or in splits or falling out of the armchair for some acrobatic move that I was creating or making up. I loved being upside down. So um, I was enrolled, not in acro per se by itself, but in a dance school where I did everything in acrobatics became my my favorite and along with that of course I was fascinated with the baton but uh, my family maybe couldn't afford to have my sister and I do both but I pleaded and pleaded and was allowed to join the baton class on the condition that I would be good at it because these lessons were too expensive if I wasn't going to work at it and of course in those days that would have been in 1940 something because I was about seven years old The classes were 35 cents a week per class. So that was was the financial burden that we had to bear at that time, which today seems like nothing. But in those days, everything's relative, right? I did work hard so that I would be good at it. And I really loved it. Those two uh, became my favorite, acro and uh, baton. And I would waffle back and forth to being, having a goal of being, the world's best acrobatic dancer or person and the world's best baton twirling person. And so I managed to marry those two all through my training. Um, and my teacher married and left about nine and I was devastated. I couldn't believe she would <laughs> she would leave me when she, we would definitely enjoyed working together. I was only nine, but I remember how devastated I was not to have a coach or a teacher and uh, Over the years, that memory has stuck with me, and I think that is why I have persevered and stuck with the whole program, because I didn't really want to leave anybody 
st stranded without a coach to finish what they were enjoying or were, were doing. And that uh, was a big, big memory for me. And Acro, of course, always was a part of our trading at the studio. And so about age 14 and a half, my sister and I did open the Martin School of Dancing in our home in a studio in the basement. And it was mainly to help out the family because we had moved into this house with a suite on the top floor and a suite on the bottom floor. And, and that's how my parents managed to have this house is because they had those uh, rumors. And my mom did not like it. She wanted the house to herself. And they, Sonia and my mom came up with the idea that we could do this. And so it was financial. I was 14 and a half and I was basically just part of the picture, but it wasn't my original idea to have this studio because at that point I was still thinking that I would be, I would be the top competitor or whatever, even though we didn't have competitions. I just felt that was my destiny to be a performer in acro or baton. But this, the studio, of course, grew, and uh, we had our first recital in 1953 with about 35, 40 students, and it just grew from there. More and more, I realized that that is what I was going to do, because I went to a twirl camp in the States and was just amazed to see the standard of the six and seven-year-olds, and I realized then, I was about 17 at the time, and I realized then that uh, no, it wasn't going to be my future, but perhaps I could teach someone and it could be their future. And that's really how it all started. And it just grew, it just kept growing from there. But acro and baton and performing have always been a big part of the Martin School of Dance. My goal, you know, just going back to, if they're going to be paying for lessons, they're going to be good at it. Philosophy, I worked very hard so that the kids were good at it and liked it. And in doing that, I was, Sonia and I were constantly looking for people to train with and to learn from. Uh, for those first years of the studio, we earned enough throughout the year to spend it all summer on further training. We would go to, the, go to Chicago. We had a school connection with a the school there. That, that, was, that was the seed that it grew that made me realize how continuing education is vital in this field when you're working with children and when you're working with a, a technique that depends on knowledge. If I, I would have given my eye teeth to have a, a syllabus like acrobatic arts when I was growing up because we did everything from seeing something in a show or by trying it or hearing about it. There was no syllabus to follow. There's no step-by-step -step approach. It was all just kind of, we used to say, we just learned by the seat of our pets open the dining room buffet and whatever fell out, that's what we taught that week. And <laughs> it didn't take long for us to realize that it had to be more of a structure, more of a system. And that uh, first things first. And that's how, that's how you learn best is by knowing the basics. And that took a long time to uh, grasp. There were lots of ups and downs, of course, but that became the foundation of the studio. It's a great foundation. You are based in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. So even you saying going to Chicago, especially at that time, must have been a huge trip. It was huge. We, we took the bus. <laughs> and one, one year, we actually took the train. <laughs> and one year, we came home with $5.67 and a pile of music, a big suitcase full of records. They were 78s, which is... 
people don't today I don't even think know what that is but we carried those home on the train clutching them to our bosom because that was just so valuable to teach because when we started we had um, a little turntable that my dad had and uh, one or two records that we had that so we used the same music over and over and over again and so to have this music at our disposal it was uh, it was wonderful. We were fortunate enough to find this dance association that had these conventions in Chicago. And my dad was always very interested in, in uh, little theater and productions in, in the community. In his connections, he worked with the grandstand show that was at the exhibition in the summer. And the girls on the, on the dancers in the show had nothing to do in the afternoon. And they were from Chicago. And so my dad said, well, I have a daughter who really liked to learn those skills. And so I would go every afternoon to the grandstand racetrack. And in the middle of the racetrack and on the grass, these girls would work with me on back handsprings, aerial cartwheels, all the things they were doing on stage with such ease. We struck up quite a, quite a friendship. And of course, one of the girls had an aunt in Chicago who had a dance school. And that was our connection. And that's where we went every summer for, I'm, I'm sure, 10 years. Wow. We got to be part of that Chicago family. And of course, the head teacher, the, the girl who owned it, her name was Ruth. She had um, a group, a performing group of acro and baton. And she wanted me to stay and be part of that group, which I was all prepared to do till I phoned home. <laughs> and then I realized, no, I couldn't leave home. I already was attached to the kids. But it shaped me. It shaped me. Yeah. And, they, and she would devote two weeks to us every summer. It's quite an adventure. And we felt quite brave and quite, um, quite grown up, actually, to do that on our own. I mean, I wouldn't have missed that for the world. I realize that now that was a big part of the dance studio and how we treated it. Right. But uh, I often wonder, I often wonder what would have happened if I had stayed in Chicago and uh, I think I made the right decision to come back home and continue what we had started I just couldn't I just couldn't let the kids go without having instruction yeah Marine you have such a legacy I think the whole dance and acrobatic and baton twirling world would not be where it is if if you would have stayed in Chicago and you know there's thousands of people who who appreciate that you did stick with your studio and keep teaching. So thank you again. Um, It's easy to see that professional development, you really value it for yourself as well as others. And I'm sure that's, you know, how you get a scholarship named after you. So talking about the scholarship, it's been around since the beginning of acrobatic arts. And I have a few statistics. I just went back to 2019. And in 2019, the scholarship had 35 applicants. And then in 2020, it went all the way up to 89 applicants. So it, it really is growing fast. And maybe you could tell the listeners what you look for in an applicant when you're looking at everyone that sends in applications. Right. I mean, it's, it's totally impressive how, how it has grown. It was a little bit easier when there were only 35 to read, but I do read them all several times. And I'm most impressed with sincerity in the application and a situation that actually requires some support. 
Sometimes that support is just what boosts someone to the next level. I'm looking for someone who actually is a self-starter, motivated to do things for the sake of the student, to grow their studio, or to learn more. I think the idea of learning more appeals to me. And it's, it's uh, become easier to sense that from the applications. So the main thing is the field, they need a desire to learn and to improve and then to continue growing, not just to get this one little course and be done. Our level of the, for the scholarship is, is a learning level. It's a kind of the first step in the door. So that's, that's really how I sort them out keep sifting it down and getting the final three or four. And then I read them and mull over and uh, go from there. And I um, would love to hear how the follow-up has been from the recipients. That, that would be kind of fun to see if I'm on the right track, because this is a learn-as-you-go thing as well. Never had a scholarship named after me before. It was really an honor to have this. And I was just totally supportive of Mandy's project. And I just helped her with her manual, the very first manual. I'm sure it's new and improved every year. That is one thing. Andy doesn't just rest on her laurels. She keeps going and she keeps, she does exactly, I think, what she should be doing to keep this relevant and growing. You can't ignore the basics, but there's always a way to make it better. And the idea of going step by step is what every student needs. So there's no risk of injury. Because if you look at the higher skills, when things go wrong, it's really not the upper end where the problem is. It's something in the basic that is wrong. It could be the takeoff. It could be the position of the feet. And that is something that I think is so good about the Acro Arts program is every detail like that is taken care of. The foot position, the hand position, the width of your shoulders, like all those things. As a young student, I had to figure out for myself. And so to have it set out for a teacher to pass on, you're going to have faster progress in the end, safer progress, because you won't go beyond if they're not strong enough to hold their, their bridge or their tabletop or whatever it is. You know, they have to meet the mark at each level. And I, I like that about this syllabus and about this way of teaching. You wanted to know if the scholarship was having an effect and if the recipients really valued it. I would have to guess that going from 35 applicants to 89 uh, is a good indication that your scholarship is really doing a lot of good for teachers that, like you said, need it to further their education. And I just want to mention that the countries that these applicants come from are Australia, Canada, United Kingdom, United States. And then we also have ones from Spain, South Africa, Mexico, Ghana, Portugal, Philippines, Ireland, and Indonesia. Oh, so wow. they really, yeah, they really are coming from all over the world. So Maureen, since I have you here, do you have any other teaching tips for teachers that you'd like to pass along? Yeah, a few, um, a few little things. <laughs> I, I think a big, the biggest one is um, not to skip steps. Everyone learns at their own pace, and some have more problems with one area than another. But it is important, even for the fast learners, that you go through every step. Don't skip it. You don't have to stay at each stage long. You just have to do it so that the next one is more possible. That's a hard thing to follow through on because 
as a teacher, you know, we're, you're, you're all, we're always just maybe a little bit impatient to move on to the next exciting skill. The not skipping steps is a big one for me. When I was learning in the Grace Track Oval, we were working on back handsprings and aerial cartwheels. And um, I know I would have learned them a lot faster if I'd spent more time on conditioning, if I had been spent, spent more time on holding a handstand, if I had worked on jumping skills, all sorts of things that you just didn't do in those days. You just the, you just said, do this. And so you try to do it. Well, that would have uh, prevented a lot of crashes to the floor. And more importantly, I was never confident with those skills. I, I loved them. I wanted to do them. I did do them. But it was more bravado rather than the confidence of knowing how to do it. Mm. So it's the, it's here's what you do. Here's how you do it. And then when you get good at it, now you know why you do it. And when you're teaching, a uh, teacher needs to know the what, the how, and the why. Because those are all stages of development in mastering anything. First, you have to know the what, and then here's the how. And now as a senior teacher, I know why we did it that way. And I, I can remember teaching primary ballet and doing a little sautés in first. I thought at the time that when you sprung up into the air, I knew you were to go off your toes, but I thought you gripped your legs in the air, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, an examiner actually told me, told the teachers, told the class, didn't tell me. I took everything personally. I thought they were speaking directly to me. But of course, it was to the whole class that you will know why you have to leave the heels apart on these little sautés in first when you're teaching entrechassis in advanced. Well, from primary to advanced is about eight years of instruction. So, but that stuck with me. And when I did get up to the advanced syllabus, yes, you have to have your legs relaxed so you can do those beats. And if you're gripping your legs on the saute, you aren't able to do the beat. So from starting with a little primary, if you teach them to grip their legs, you are preventing them forever learning entrechassis in the advanced. So that was a 10 year pro progression of learning for me. And by that time I knew why. So I became a much better teacher at the primary level, knowing where that was leading to. That's the value of ongoing education. When I say you don't reinvent the wheel, but you do a better job of the foundation. So the wheel becomes better in the end. You know, I like to say dance education lasts a lifetime and it's totally true. There's where the teachers have to be patient and go step by step. Brilliant. Words of wisdom. <laughs> now, maybe a fun question. What's your favorite acro skill to watch, teach, or do, and why? Well, of course, young, it was the back handspring and the aerial cartwheel. Now it's how the back handspring is developed with these twists and from the floor and into the floor. And I love to watch those. I love the walkover. I love all the variations of the walkovers. And I love the cartwheel walkover combinations that are turning up. It's really interesting to see how they need both the cartwheel and the walkover and they need that flexibility in the hips to turn and uh, they need the strength that's fun for me to see what they can accomplish with those basics instilled in them yeah and maureen correct me if i'm wrong but i seem to remember when i was young going to the studio and was there a picture of you in a traditional contortion uh, stand with your feet over on the floor. Right. 
<laughs> I was very flexible. I could do that if you're laying on your side and you're holding your toes under your chin like a bow tie. Yeah. He's just yeah. <laughs> yeah, though that was that was quite the that was the trend then. That was more contortion. You did walk, you did handstands with a definite arch in your back, like the forearm stand was another favorite of mine as a young girl, because I could do kind of a stag position and my leg would be parallel to the floor. Well then gymnastics sort of changed that for a while and they were teaching the straight body position in a handstand. So contortion kind of went out, right? Yeah. And, and, and I wasn't really a contortionist. I wasn't that flexible, but I was flexible enough to get my feet under my chin. And uh, we had a skill in those days that was the highlight skill. It was called a hoop snake. I don't know if they still do it, but you do a back bend from your knees, grab your ankles, and then you roll forward on your tummy, holding onto these feet. And that was always a crowd pleaser. But see, that prevented back handsprings from being well done because my back was too soft. So that's where the combination of the strength, the strength and the flexibility was lacking in my early training. And that's why the back downstream was such a stumbling block for me. I mean, you learn by what you experience, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that's one of my, I, I love that picture. Um, and I also have another memory. I believe the year was 1988. <laughs> oh, yes, I think I know. <laughs> The walkover day. Yes. <laughs> 1988. I was born in 39, so over 40, that's for sure. Is it safe to say that that was the last time you did a walkover? That was totally the last time I did a walkover because uh, I wasn't equally developed and I turned too much and one shoulder came up before the other. It was a completely lopsided walkover, but I got over and up but I know you were there to spot in case it was a complete disaster. I said I would do it, so I was going to do it. I did the splits on the wall, stretched and worked out the whole summer to try to get, but I didn't do any walkovers in practice. I think if I had practiced walkovers, I, the, the challenge would never have been met. I just felt I had to show you that I could do it. <laughs> Since that time, I have done some cartwheels, but not a walkover. Well, that's dedication to your uh, <laughs> students, for sure. Oh, yeah. The students are everything to me. They still are. I just want them to uh, learn. I want them to learn by example. I want to be a good example for them. But I can't do it like I used to do it. But I'm blessed with the knowledge of what steps to go through. So that's uh, a blessing. We can still be successful. Yes. Are there any other stories or experiences that you would like to share that might help other studio owners or teachers or even acrobatic students? I know that the power of positive thinking is very important in this field that we're in. There's a great book, Dennis Quaitley is the author and the book is The Psychology of Winning. And it's on the motto, if you think you can, you can. And I think that as a teacher, that's basically what you have to instill from day one Everybody in competition, I'm referring to competition here, but everybody has the same situation. So it's how you handle the situation. So I think that kind of reading is very helpful for teachers just to have that mentality that they bring into class. What motivates one might not motivate another. As a teacher, you have to be all things to all people. So I wear the different hats and, and I learn 
how to motivate each individual. And where that becomes a little bit of a tricky spot is when you have a group or a team because it has to be one way for all. You can't have three or four different rules going on within the same team. And I think that's, that's an important part of teamwork. And that's a big important part of teaching in getting the, your team of people, whether it's a dance group or an acro group to work together to develop trust in each other. And so if they've all had the same basis and they grow with the same outlook, you end up with a strong team of people. I think that's one of the most important things of what uh, a lifetime in dance and acro in competition brings is that you're turning out good people that take a task and see it through. And that's a life lesson. That's not just learning a backhand spring. I think we will end it there. That was so touching that one of our most important jobs as a teacher is to turn out good people. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't the world be such a great place if we had more great people? So uh, Maureen, this has been truly amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for asking me and good luck with what's coming up. If you are a teacher who would like to apply for the Acrobatic Arts Professional Development Scholarship, go to the Acrobatic Arts website, click on Training for Teachers, scroll down, and you will find Teacher Scholarships. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day.